0: hello everyone and welcome back to Normi Frenia uh, it feels like it's been a while since I've been on since we've done a show but it has only been what a week and one extra day mm-hmm. um today we are going to be talking to Dan the man hello Dan
1: hey how's it going
0: it's going real good uh, and as always JT is also here hello JT
2: hello Tristan
0: and on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the idea and feeling of nostalgia. But uh, before we do that, I have to address the people who pay me money. Um, uh, that is still going to be our good friends over at the war criminal band, and Supply Co. Um, actually, and Supply Co. Uh, also gets not only is our first sponsor... But is the first sponsor to send me something from from his company for free. Uh, He sent me a uh, vegetarian MRE, which I appreciate because, as some of you may know, I gave up uh, basically meat for Lent. Uh, I'm pescatarian, so I really appreciate the vegetarian MRE. Uh, it was very good. It's uh, really, I guess, is about as good as you can expect an MRE t- that you got in the mail to be. Um, I would eat it happily in an emergency situation, absolutely. And that you should go buy them from him and also eat them and tell me about the one you get. Um, you can get 10% off when you use code word normifrenia with your purchase. Anyways, uh, Dan, I guess as a segue... Uh, do you have any, do you, uh, you know, me and Zach, we have a nostalgia for milserp. Uh, do you, do you share any of that nostalgia for old war?
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, so my bachelor's degree, uh, I'm already off on a bad foot cause I just, I just uh, said that I had a degree, um, is in military history. Um, so like even growing up as a kid, as an army brat, like, uh, Zach, um, and having a, a officer for a dad, but also a historian, like all that sort of shit, just like really w- was like interesting to me. And I always wanted it. And so now I've got like, um, like a curio cabinet with, you know, uh, your kind of standard Nazi belt buckle, uh, uh, it's a it's standard, very standard. Right. Um, but also like, uh, a first edition English copy of Mao's little red book, um, <laughs> English uh, autobiography copy of Mussolini's autobiography. Um, uh, Lenin pins, um, wound badges from uh, World War II, uh, old forty-five magazines—like just you know stuff like that for the most part. Native
2: American scalps, <laughs> powdered wigs.
1: Yeah, you know, just whatever you can get your grubby hands on. Like I, I also. Um, as my job as a librarian for the army, I guess technically I am a fed. So that's, that's flag number two um, strike number two, but like, um, like I got to see a lot of interesting stuff, old stuff. Um, recently, I got some pictures from Vietnam. Um, really cool original pictures of uh, uh, general Abrams, you know, pictures of like bombed out churches. I think I sent you pictures of those, Tristan, stuff you like did. that. So yeah, like, Surplus army stuff, historical stuff in general, like, I'm a fucking geek for, you know, uh, someone could, like, say, like, hey, you know, this is a shovel from the 1700s. And I would be like, get the fuck out of here. That's awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I'm very, very easily, like, impressed by some of that stuff. Um, So, yeah, Milstorp is great. Uh, I definitely think, you know, I I remember a callback to your pescatarianism when you were talking to Mary. Uh, and Cody, very cool. You know, um, it's, it's a tough road to go. So just, uh, a, a, a week from Easter now. So you're all set. So do you think you'll go? I've,
0: you know, I'm thinking about actually maintaining, like, I think I'm, um, I might only add back like birds okay. to the diet, like, but like steer clear of like beef and pork. Um,
1: so you're really gonna punish yourself because birds are like on the bottom of that tier, in my opinion. And the
0: bot the bottom tier of like nutritional value, meat or like quality. no, just
1: in meat in general. I think like beef is at the top, 100, percent and then pork, then maybe even some other animals before we get to fowl and fish. Like in my opinion, like I just I I I don't like birds, like just in general. So like even as much as I would love to enjoy eating them because I don't like them, they don't even taste good for the most part. Um, they're just, you know, easy to mass produce. And, uh, you know, they just bring deadly plagues every couple hundred years. So, you know, fuck (laughs) them. Fuck them.
0: Uh, JT, uh, you do not have a degree in military history, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure you are, you are interested in many old things, surely. Um, what what would you say you are nostalgic for?
2: Um, I mean, if there's anything I'm nostalgic for, it's probably within my own lifetime. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd like to be there when Jesus was around or when Buddha was around or something. That'd be something I'd be nostalgic for even though I don't think I'd want to actually live back then. But um, I don't know. I think I'm nostalgic for time periods in my life when i was a kid playing with toys or something like everybody thinks that way like before you're six seven years old that's like a golden time you want to retreat to but i don't know i don't really have nostalgia for anything i like looking passively on nostalgia and enjoying the fact that it happened but i don't really have any desire to be back there i like where i'm at now
0: dan before you respond uh what would you define nostalgia as to you?
1: Well, I, I really kind of I think j t. hit some really good points. Um, I think nostalgia to me, like rather than define it like in a Webster's dictionary sort of way, I yeah. kind of think of it in a sort of more esoteric way. I think nostalgia is a poison in a lot of ways and just like any sort of po- poison um the way to become immune to it is by taking it in small doses right mm. because i think like jt pointed out like I-, I think jt you're lucky because again like a lot of people get like sucked into that nostalgia they can't escape it it is poisonous it destroys them if they're too into it so i think again it's it's just like Like, for me, like, I have no desire to gamble. It doesn't do anything for me. I would rather go play, like, in a fucking arcade because if I'm going to put quarters into a machine, I want to at least be playing, again, talk about nostalgia, I want to be playing, like, you know, Area 51 or the old Terminator with the Uzi, you know? That's what I want to do. So, like, I know that, like, gambling isn't, like, a thing for me, but nostalgia absolutely is kind of one of these things where I've... I've kind of played with it, you know, and I've kind of dabbled in it, but I've had to, to, to step back from it. Cause I do, I think that it's, it's, it's got some benefits and it's nice to be in, but I think it's kind of, it's easy to get into a kind of a Lotus eating uh, mentality when it comes to nostalgia, Tristan. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: I respect that answer very much. Uh, I guess, I guess I don't have a lot of nostalgia either. Occasionally if I'm having like uh some sort of, episode i don't know what you'd call it um if i'm having some sort of like weird daydream at work i'll just picture myself at like random points in history and just like just observing them but like one question and this is so great that you have a military history degree but like one one really specific nostalgic reflection i often have is like if i had to like submit myself to some like indistinguishable from life virtual reality experience where i fight in a war right And like if i if i were to die in that war I, the simulation would just end i would just wake up as myself
1: yeah.
0: what war would i want to fight in and then i just pick one and i visualize like what would that have been like for me and i think i i have to pick like a favorite one is like i would just i don't know if i would love it but it would be such an experience to uh experience world war one firsthand in the situation where i don't actually have to deal with the ramifications
1: of being a, a victim of one right but that's but that's kind of so like i kind of like divide nostalgia up into kind of two big camps um i think jt again you kind of described it already like there's personal nostalgia and then there's nostalgia for something that you you didn't really kind of Uh, you weren't involved in so so like um you know not not to uh again get like too deep into the esoteric weeds but i definitely think like the concept of past lives especially the way that it's kind of been uh kind of like adopted and abrogated by like western white women that really like crystals i think um the the concept of past lives it was always kind of like you know like Someone grows up and they think, you know, oh, they hear a sitar for the first time and they're like, wow, that's really amazing, you know, and they're like really into Ravi Shankar, you know, or some shit. And they're like, you know, I just I feel a connection to this. And I think that that is that kind of um, non-personal nostalgia or kind of quasi-personal nostalgia or historical uh, uh, nostalgia. Um, And then there's the personal nostalgia where it's like, God, yeah, like I want to be back playing with my Teenage Mutant Ninja toys in the backyard where it's like sunny and like, I don't have to do anything that day. And it's great. I think that those are the two big kind of forms of nostalgia. Um, And I think that that first one, the kind of uh, quasi nostalgia, like, again, like, it's, it's weird because like you said, Tristan, like, yeah, I want, you, know, you want to live in World War One. You want to be there in the trenches. But do you really want to be like blown apart by, you know, uh, an 88 millimeter, you know, uh, artillery shell and then have like, you know, rats come out and start like, you know, eating your, your still living body? You know, no, I, I don't think you do. But it's but, but that's right. But that's but the same thing happens with. um with past lives and with uh, that sort of stuff. Because if you ask somebody about their past life, right, they always tell you like, well, you know, I was a duchess in some very small, you know, uh, Eastern European country back in the 1400s. And it's never like, uh, I was a peasant and I shit myself to death when I was 27. Like, that's (laughs) never it. Like, nobody ever says that.
2: I'll take responsibility. (laughs)
1: We always, we always kind of like, again, like we, we, we want it to be, we want to be special, right? Like most of us, most of us want to be special. And I think that that's part of the issue again, with the nostalgia, part of the kind of poisonous nature of this quasi nostalgia is we, we do want to see ourselves as a great man of history. We'll want to see ourselves in, in a pivotal moment. We want to see ourselves as the change, you know, like there's the meme template of like, girls going back in time and speaking to their grandmother and like the boy going back in time and like handing Julius Caesar, you know, like, uh, you know, MG 42. Yeah. Oh. Something, you know, yeah. but it's like, that is, that is like the really kind of common sort of uh, quasi nostalgia that I think a lot of guys have is like, they want to be part of like that, that moment in history. You know, again talking about Sam Hyde, mm-hmm. my favorite sketch that he ever did was Hitler's top guy. And just because like the whole concept was obviously awful and hilarious, but like he's he's making like a it's it's only a little bit of a joke like when you think about it because it's like it, it, like, what if Genghis Khan comes up to you and be like, hey, I want you to lead one of my kaganates, and I want you to storm Samarkand and, by the way, rape all the women and put all the men's heads on pikes. And you're like, oh, gee, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I'm cool with that. But then, then you're at the head of 10,000 horsemen riding across the open step, putting up clouds of dust in your wake, and you're thinking, like, I could do that. Uh, yeah, I could I could do that, you know? Goodbye, mom. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, mom. Right. You know, I mean, um yeah. I think there's I like, there's always that kind of drive. My,
0: I, maybe the funniest thing to me about like historical nostalgia like that is the 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 further back in time you go, the the more grand it gets. And we've obviously already talked about that, like dying in World War One or leading a right. massive Mongol army, but like Zoomers who are like uh, nostalgic for like the 60s through the 80s, they just envision themselves ODing. Like, that's <laughs> Right. In it's like, I'm, I really regret that I di- wasn't born 40 years earlier so I could
1: OD. Choke on your own vomit in the bathtub. Right. I mean, it's like, but that's kind of like, again, like going to like the concept of like Twee and like that. That's a whole thing where like I was always kind of like, sort of impressed by but also off-put by like the cottage core and all this like any of the cores frankly i think all the whole concept's a little off-putting to me um just because i remember before there was like a, a digital age where you know your entire self-concept didn't need to be related online so that people understood you <laughs> you could exist you know outside of the ones and zeros but i think yeah. um It does. It does feel like people aren't setting their their sights very high where it's like, oh, I'm going to wear a jumper from like the 1960s and dress, you know, from a thrift store. And, you know, maybe I got it from Goodwill or maybe I decided to go and spend, you know, $80, $100 at, you know, some sort of boutique uh, thrift store to really get the look that I want. And, you know... I don't want to be like too hard on people like that because I was definitely that kind of person in in the past. I mean, Zach White and I, uh, you know, wore big uh, pea coats, like you know the big, huge wool button down coats. You know, he did a really good job of saving me because we were in the vintage thrift store and I was looking at the leather trench coats. And mind you, this is two thousand five, two thousand six, and made. The Matrix, but also just, like, the echoes of school shooter stuff was still really (laughs) strong. So, like, (laughs) you could not. And, like, it was before the milady and the hat tipping with the the Twilby and, and the fedora. So, like, if you were wearing a leather trench coat, it was only because... You were a school shooter, basically. So Zach, like, <laughs> like Zach, really like, pulled me back from the brink. He's like, "No, get this nice pea coat. And like, it's not only it's warmer, it looks better. It's like heavy, could probably stop a knife if someone tried to stab me. Like, much better decision all around. But you know, that like, that's that's an example again of of kind of this like quasi nostalgia. You want to like live through something it's it's the way like we kind of like look back at our parents our grandparents you know they they pass things on to us whether it's physical things or just even mannerisms and you know we kind of uh, enjoy that i for example remember one time my early 20s uh, my parents were out of town i was living back at home so i was 19 19 20 or so and i remember i had gone fishing that day it was just a nice summer day. I wasn't working. I wasn't doing jack shit. I was totally being a neat, and I, I went fishing and was just like chain smoking, um, uh, Lucky Strikes unfiltered. That's right, Lucky Strikes. That's...
0: You said filtered or unfiltered?
1: Unfiltered. Oh my gosh! So by like the end of the night, like I'm tired. I'm like smell like fish and cigarettes. And like, I just remember like crawling into bed and thinking like, I felt like I had just got done like in like that virtual reality machine, but like as the old man in the sea, like I felt like that was, that was what I had experienced that day was like, I lived like my great grandfather on the island of Sicily, you know, going out and fishing and smoking tobacco and coming home to a small twin bed by himself you know, and crawling into bed, ready to do it all again the next day. You know, very, very, um, again, uh, <laughs> just fool myself. That's twee. that's Tui, <laughs> <tweet, dude. laughs> But That is Tweet, right? Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, again, like, there's, there's that, but it's like, now, now, 10 years later, 15 years later, for me, it's like, what really does it for me is like, the minute and 20, uh, VHS glitch uh, uh, video on Twitter of, like, you know, panzers rolling across the Eastern Front, you know, and, like, Stuka's dive-bombing, and I'm like, hmm, yes, yes, this is the vibe. You know, like, stuff like that, you know, or Napoleon, you know? It's...
2: Yeah. I say I say that we go back to the uh, esoteric roots thing, we you know, the esoteric weeds. Um in, in life, we are, we are all one guy watching different movies. So we're all one, exactly. one being living through different bodies. So that's why everybody's nostalgia is usually the same. Like you said, you know, playing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in your backyard while the sun's out. It probably evoked something in me that was very similar. So we're all the same guy watching the different movies. But I think what has really reinforced nostalgia as a commodity is the Internet. Because people finally realize after like thousands of years, millions of years of human development, that we are all very, very similar in our experiences. Like, I'm sure you've seen TikToks or Twitter posts or whatever about uh, we all live the same life, huh? So people right. would bring up some old nostalgia they have, and then everybody's like, oh my God, that happened to me too. Well, that has now become a commodity. And that's why I think the internet is so big as it is because we all have the exact same experiences just dressed up as different toys or different uh, houses or whatever we lived in wherever we played and that's also why nostalgia now is such a um, full of vigor in our economy because of like movies sequels are all that exists now All we do is build up off of sequels, or we remake movies, or we uh, make remixes to old songs because we don't have anything unique anymore. Because we're all so stuck on nostalgia, and because that nostalgia is now so prevalent and everybody can share it so easily, we are now so attached to that nostalgia. And yeah, in in a in a sense, we can vicariously live past lives through that nostalgia, like you're saying with napoleon or the panzer division in the the nazi military um it's we we can live at any time you can take a caveman and drag him from his cave back a billion years ago pull him to the present day and plop him down and eventually he'll learn how to use a computer right there's nothing there's nothing so different about us over time that we are different species really We were drawing penises on walls for the last trillion years. For as long as humans have had the ability to draw, we've been drawing the same things. So we can live vicariously that easily because, in a sense, we were those people who lived back then. And as easily as putting on VR or as easily as me picking Tristan up and placing him back when Genghis Khan lived, putting his ass on a horse and making him Right across the steps with the wind in his face. That's why nostalgia is so prevalent because our first memory, our first impact of something is what we remember. And when we're children, that's when our first sensory inputs really start. That's why sometimes we'll smell a waft of air that reminds us of childhood because that was the first smell we remember. And the same way in a movie, you don't remember the whole movie. You just remember the key bullet points that hit you and got your senses to wake up. And that's why nostalgia is something that you can't, like you said, it is a poison. You can't attach yourself to because if you've lived a billion lives before that, then why care about this one that much? It's more important to just let the experiences come by, smell the breeze, remember it, and let it go. But many people like the nostalgia trips who, like return to tradition posts that you see, like the vaporwave 1950s family behind a picket fence. It's because people want to live in some nostalgia. They want some semblance of security in something. They don't want to let something go. So it is important that when nostalgia comes to you, you appreciate it, you smile, you enjoy the memory, and then it goes away if not, it just it does poison you, and then you forget how special the memory was, and you live your whole life trying to repeat it.
0: All right, I've got I've got a funny wisecrack, and then I want to take this to the next level. Um, white people don't be saying nostalgia anymore; they say copium. Uh, and anyway, <laughs> um, next question: um, ref, uh, talking about nostalgia and how everyone has lived the same life. Is nostalgia just the just the individualized form of hauntology?
1: Like the world, guys? Like, um, so, well, but I, I think, like, JT made, like, an excellent point. Like, the internet has absolutely transcended. Uh, so, like, my other job as a librarian, you know, I, I, I'm this of information right that's kind of like the way a modern librarian is versus just like a guy who slings books right so i think that like information in general and just like the amount of information that you can just get fire hosed on you um it does lead to things like you know yeah like all of these shared experiences it's it's like when jt was talking i was thinking about like those posts where it's like You know, somebody posts, like, uh, a McDonald's Happy Meal toy from, like, 15 years ago, and everybody says, you know, starts chiming in, like, I had that, I remember that, I had that. Not only that, though, you've got the Mandela effect. You have the exact opposite. You have falsified memories on a grand scale, where, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to, again, Bernstein, Berenstein, you know, bears, that sort of thing. You can think of a bunch of different, you know, examples, but the the problem frankly i think is is that with all of this stuff being shared you know again part of that i think actually <laughs> destroys some of the value in it you know it is it, it is good for us to have shared experiences as as human beings it allows us to understand one another to be close to one another to find the value um to see you know uh, as a catholic you see the christ in in another person but again if even if you don't want to Look at it from a religious point of view. Just see the humanity in another person, right? Um, but at the same time, like sometimes that nostalgia can can again can can point you in a very different direction, um, or it can, you know, it can create a situation where it's like, well, if we're all the same, then we're not really special. Again, like JT was saying, and so I don't know. I, I think that that's an interesting question, Tristan. I, I mean. I, I would kind of look at things in a way that, you know, when you have that nostalgia, it's kind of like the rose-colored glasses. You know, everything does sort of look good. You know, the idea of going back to World War One doesn't seem as hellish all of a sudden as if you had told your great grandfather, "God, I'd love to have been there in the trenches with you." You know, like, but um, like at the same time, it's like you, you snap back to reality all of a sudden, where somebody's like, "Well." I don't like that, you know, like, again, like, you know, you say, like, you, you want to be like that 1950s, you know, nuclear family, like, that's like derided by so many fucking people now, as like mm-hmm. being either a lie that never was, as something that was bad, and it's good that it's gone, like, take your pick, right? So. Yeah. I think that it just really kind of depends. You know, we've accelerated our nostalgia too, because if you think about ancient societies, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ancient Persia, their version of nostalgia was going back in a line of kings mm-hmm. because of how little information was recorded. Only the most important information gets recorded. So you have, you know, names of kings, when they reigned things like that, when the floods came, you know, very basic points of information, but it was all about kind of creating a lineage, kind of creating a history, um, but also creating um, uh, a common culture that, that people could understand and kind of rally around. It's this, this beginning of what becomes larger societies, societies that are going beyond your basic 120 individuals of the tribe that you'll know by name and by face automatically, you know. But the problem is is that part of that becomes like in ancient Rome, for example, you know, we're the sons of Aeneas who fled from Troy, um, and our arch enemies are the Carthaginians because of what Aeneas did to Queen Dido, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're building in your hatreds into your nostalgia, right? <laughs> so again going back to the idea that it's poisonous, you know, it becomes really easy to look at some of this nostalgia. And again, like the return, you know, like one of my favorite sweatshirts that I have is a meme uh, of a crusader wearing like a great helm and he's got his hands on his face. Like, I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's like a soldier with his hands on his face, like covered in blood and like BDUs Mm -hmm. and like the backgrounds, like oil and Iraq and stuff. And like, it's been (laughs) yeah, so it's it's a it's a crusader doing that, and below it says Deus Vault. And it's like it's my favorite hoodie. Just because again, like I'm like, mm, yes, I would have loved to have died in Constantinople fighting the Turks, but or or right. sacking Constantinople, you know, with, with the Venetians. But yeah. but like at the same time, like I would never wear that to my job because like I work with Middle Eastern guys like every day, every other day. So it's kind of yeah. like I can't signal that because my, my nostalgia is, is, is again, it's poisonous to them. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, again, that that's, that's a, but that, that's a way that as universal as nostalgia can be, it can also be like hyper, uh, isolated to certain groups. Um, and, and again, that's, that would probably be the third form of nostalgia, which I would again, call like a, like a group nostalgia. Yeah. Like the, the hauntology, you know, Where it is broad.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up two very good points, which are the Mandela effect and then the rose-colored glass. So Mandela effect-wise, the whole universe, the whole, whole of existence is mental. And in that sense, everything that you do, both in your mind and in reality, if it has enough faith behind it, Faith in the fact that you did something physical and it actually moved physical reality or the mental fact of you doing something, and then that idea spreading, they they can become equally real. And he mentioned Christ in passing, so I'll mention Christ in passing. He mentioned that um, if you commit adultery in your heart, it is the same as committing adultery in physical reality, right. And in that sense, Whatever you do in your mind impresses on reality in some manner, in some way. So much that if you impress something onto your mind in a specific way, it is weighted the same as if you did it physically. And with the Mandela effect, Curious George never had a tail. But because monkeys have tails, and because someone thought, didn't Curious George have a tail? It became a widespread idea that like closed two synapses in someone's mind and they thought, well these two things connect. There must be a conspiracy. And because of that it spread like wildfire. And whether or not you believe in Bernstein, Bernstein, or Fruit Loops or Fruit Loops, or um I don't know what's another one. Or literally Nelson Mandela being uh in (laughs) dying in prison or
1: dying in prison, yeah.
2: Right. Um, it's entirely up to you because ultimately your mental reality is your reality. No matter what anybody else says, it is real in, in your sense. But in reality reality, base reality, yeah, none of those things happened. Reality happened as it did. But because of the machinations of a few minds, and that's where it gets to. And now to the rose-colored glasses. Um, I was. I've been watching a show. I've been telling Tristan about it, but it's called The Young Pope. Very oh, wonderfully yeah. made TV show. Um, and it portrays it this pope, a fictitious pope named Pius the Thirteenth. His whole point is that he wants to make the church a mystery. So he makes himself a mystery. He never goes out in public, never does any press conferences, or anything like that. And he pushes that narrative of being mysterious very well. And there's this one stark scene in the show where he doesn't let anyone take pictures of him ever. But he goes out in plain clothes to this bar. And some girl says, do you believe in God? I'll show you God exists. And she takes a picture of his face and zooms in on his eye. It's like, this is why God exists. Look at how beautiful your eye is. A very innocent scene done in passing. But the whole point of the show is to portray him in such a uh, salvific, Christ-like manner. Almost untouchable, a myth. And then you look at the picture of his face and, oh, that, that's just Jude Law. That's just the guy who plays him. And there is something, Christ, if he came down today with no Christianity ever existing, he wouldn't have the same effect because people would take pictures of him. And because he exists better in a painting than he does in a video, that's what makes him so mysterious and magnificent and mythical, that regardless of his real miracles— Regardless of those things, if you see it firsthand, or better yet, if you see it secondhand over a video, it looks silly. But given enough time, it becomes mythical and it gains a sort of fervor behind it that it didn't have, which is why we can look back on things like war, which is terrible. If you're actually someone who was in war, you know how horrible it is. You you feel horrendous trauma over it. But because it's become mythical to us, because it's something out of our reach, and larger than life. It's like, I want to be there, I want to do that. And it it draws you into it, because again, the universe being as rooted in intelligence as it is, the best story wins. So that if a story is magnificent and mythical enough, it will draw people in hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of years after it happened. Like in, in India, for example, in Hinduism, right. the Bhagavad Gita, written in the Mahabharata, it is 5,000 years old. It is a story about a charioteer and his assistant. Oh A, battle, yeah, you know, a it's battle that happened 5,000 yeah. years ago. 5,000 yeah. years ago, and it survived that long over oral tradition written out, over billions upon billions of people who lived on that subcontinent spreading that story. And even still today, there are people who say, Jai Sri Krishna, right? because it's so magnificent. I mean, obviously, it's a very well-written epic. But other than that, it's just, if you were to see him today, you wouldn't care as much because it's in your grasp. But because it's such a magnificent story, because it's something that you just, can't put a finger on even the mandela effect even has that because they're never things that happened yesterday because you can touch those things so all things that happened during our childhood things that happened 10 20 30 40 years ago like who watches curious george nowadays no one does who eats fruit loops and looks at the label all the time no one does who watches looney tunes and looks at the title looney tunes no one who cares about nelson mandela anymore Nobody. It's all things that happened just out of our reach. Because they did, they can spawn a myth, even if it's something so stupid, like, you know, did Curious George have a tail or not? And that is also its own poison, in a sense, because it leads to people being mystified over nothing, mystified over war that they would never ever want to fight in. But because it seems cool, because it feels like I it could have been something if I was there. They well, salivate over it,
1: and, and that's you know, uh, if you if you look at all quiet on the Western Front, you know that's exactly what's happening in, you know, these young German boys is like they're wanting to get into uh, this battle. They're they're joining up as an, as entire you know classrooms you know of boys um, because again, there's this idea that you know they want to capture recapture you know, the glories that their fathers had in 1870 in the Franco-Prussian War. You know, this is kind of a constant forgetting and remembering and forgetting and remembering, tides coming in and tides coming out. Mm -hmm. I do think, though, that we are starting to enter an age when everything is so recorded, when there's instant recall at the touch of a button, where we we really are, for so many reasons, and again, this is going to sound so banal because everybody says it, but technology and information and the digital age is just absolutely transforming us uh, transforming our biological bodies, our our biological minds uh, in a way that I think is just ultimately for 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 the negative. i think um I think what kind of is happening is again, you're seeing people that are um, wanting to say, like, politicians want to say, like, hey, we need to go back to the 1950s, or we need to make America great again, and, you know, again, it's it's one of these things where it's like, I'm not even going to argue about the definitions, or, you know, was things great back then, or anything else, but it's this idea that we are in decline, but at this, excuse me, at the same time that we're in decline, people themselves don't even, like, realize they are exacerbating the decline. The idea that they would vote for somebody who's going to give them the good old days back again, um, Mm -hmm. while at the same time, this person is like morally reprehensible, you know, like that's, you know, again, not to get all political, but it's like, if a politician, if you had told, you know, someone a hundred years ago, politicians slept with a porn star, slept with a, a, you know, starlet, paid her off, um, you know, anything like that, it's like, boom, they were done. I can, I'm old enough to remember when John Edwards had his primary for the Democratic nominee uh, 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 nomination for president sunk by the fact that he had an extramarital affair while his wife was mm. dying of cancer. Like, holy shit, that was not even 15 years ago, people. Like, we've completely abandoned this because, for whatever reason, we're just so caught up in winning or achieving something or grasping at something that is so ephemeral and is not even there and again that's mm-hmm. part of the problem with this nostalgia we've we've created a mirage in our heads of what something can be or will be and what we don't realize is we are walking deeper into the desert and mm. i do feel like you know again p- part of it is as you see ah, you know i i, I made of fun of uh, white women uh, with crystals. It's really easy to do, so I apologize. It's a low-hanging fruit. But it's like, these are people searching for esotericism. They are searching for mystery. It's Mm -hmm. like, I bring up all the time with uh, my fellow Christians, fellow Catholics, you know, it's really, like, we get into these debates where people say, like, hey, do you think Bigfoot is real? Hey, do you think aliens are real? And I'm like, well, um, angels and demons are real. And I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't that be enough to blow your fucking mind? Shouldn't that be enough that you like lay awake in terror at the fact that before (laughs) man existed, there was a massive pantheon of other beings that God created and half of them were sent down into another realm to exist in torment forever because they rebelled against God. Like, is that not enough to get your juices going? What the fuck else do you need? You know? That, wow. to me, like, it, it, it's just an example of something where it's, like, it's really easy to, like, slip your mind. People don't think about it. Or if they do, they think about it in some sort of commercialized Marvel bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like this pales in comparison to the truth of it. I would much rather sit down with a Vatican demonologist for six hours than watch any fucking Marvel movie.
2: Yeah,
1: I just I, th- I don't know that that's a shared feeling.
2: I think that goes to the cultural zeitgeist or hundredth monkey effect, where if you told that to a I don't know a peasant a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, it blows mind. But right. because we know it, it's it's already kind of ingrained in our system as being, you know, how, what percentage of the world believes in angels and demons? Probably like 50%, 60%, I'm sure. It's just total world population, both Muslim and uh, Christian people being right. about half. It, it's so common now that we, we get it. And going back to the <laughs> cycle of tied in, tide out low and high tide of forgetting and remembering you know i'm i'm privy to the idea that humanity has existed a lot longer than we think mm-hmm. in so much that we get to a point culturally where we remember too much the story gets dry there are no myths or no legends and then suddenly the civilization just dies out goes away collapses forever we forget about it it's washed away by sand a new civilization comes around, they have their myths and legends and such like that. And I think it goes back to um, the universe being um, so intelligent or rather so equanimous in its mind that just like you can pull a caveman, put him in today's time, and he'll figure himself out, you can also tell somebody, hey, listen, there are angels and there are demons and this and that. There's a god, there's a man who came down, he was God so on and so forth. You can tell them everything about any religion. And eventually, people will get to a point where they don't care anymore. Even though it's mind-blowing, they will get to a point where they are mentally at the same level as that story, so they no longer feel the same excitement, even if it is true. And that's why those stories, they get old and they die out. That's why religions over time have died out for the same reason. Like uh, for example, uh, Mithras, Mithras was a right, solar god, earth, yeah. yeah, solar god in Rome. yeah he shared a birthday with christ um he was He was very salvific, but because his story was not as impactful as Jesus's, suddenly he just faded away. He was a very Roman god. He came from Persia, but kind of right. like how Americans don't wear robes. Romans didn't wear pants, so, you know, Mithras was not a Roman person, but he was a Roman god, and they found him very Roman, they found him a god of the state, he found him very salvific, yeah. but just because his story got too old for them, they f- they just flocked to a new story, even if the story was heretical to them, they just felt something move toward that, and that's how humans work we find we gravitate toward the best story even if the best story does not agree with us something pushes us toward that and it's it's nostalgia eventually that poison wears off because a new story is like an antidote and nostalgia will it's it has a grasp on us because we have no new stories we have no new miracles no new saints we have no new prophets we have no new christ we have no buddhas we have nothing we are a, a situation we are a civilization of stagnation.
1: Exactly. Well, and that goes back to what you were saying about how everything's a a reboot, everything's a remake, everything's a sequel. You know, there is this amount of cultural stagnation that is just across all sorts of fronts. You know, there's the old saying there's nothing new under the sun.
2: (laughs) There you go. There's a story. There's a there's a saying for the whole episode.
1: You know what's funny you know what's funny about
0: nothing new under the sun this is not the first time we've mentioned nothing new under the sun on the show.
2: Yep, because there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs>
1: exactly. But it's but it you know, I'll say this. It's like what what could be the antidote to all this? Like like you like you spoke of is, is the new story. The best possible thing that could happen would be we go to the moon or Mars again and we just find, you know, a big fuck off pyramid. You know, like yeah. honest to God, like, yeah. I don't, I don't want the answer. I want, I want more questions <laughs> than answers. Exactly. That's that. what moves you forward. Yeah. I love not knowing. Right. <laughs> exa- well, and you know, that's the thing is that not knowing is, is, and being out of control is the source of anxiety. It's the source of kind of discontent, but it also sparks action it sparks a necessity to learn it's you know Hmm. people people today i want to say like you know again one of the things that i'm really disappointed about in the younger generation and as a millennial i feel entitled to be able to say this now uh (laughs) is that there does seem to be across the digital generations now the zoomers millennials too there there really just isn't as much of a desire to learn you know it's one thing to be Hmm. like binge watching you know youtube videos or reading wikipedia with like 17 tabs open i -hmm. I do appreciate that i do it myself but if someone came up to me and was like hey do you want to read like a 400 page book on the phoenicians and like maybe like really kind of dive into this i would kind of be like "No, hold on a a minute buddy because i want to play like fucking like you know, world of tanks or some shit for two hours tonight. I don't know that I, I don't know that I want to sit down and, and read about the Venetians. So even I know right. that I'm half-assed about it, and I think yeah. that part of it is is the culture is is just society and culture. And it, that's that's an easy thing to pillory. I know, but it's it like is true though. It is true, but- and it's it's deadened you know, so much about us. Technology's deadening things. The culture in turn is deadening things. It, it's, it, it's calling for a revival. This is yeah. why you see a revival in, in the United States in the 1800s or 1900s. Um, you know, this kind of call back to religion. But it's not even about Christ. It's about a renewal of spirit. Of of something growing inside the community, animating the community, animating them literally to the point that they are, um, you know, up and dancing in the aisles and speaking in tongues, you know, very Pentecostal like. Yeah. You know, that is kind of what we're seeing on some ends uh, now. I see with the culture where you're seeing a re- again this return to tradition. You know, I want to go to Latin mass. I want to fucking mm. choke out on. Uh, incense. You know, I don't want the priest to look at me. I want him to be facing the altar. I want us all to be looking towards God and his physical manifestation in the Eucharist together. Like I want yeah. that kind of again that esotericism. I think that you know, you talked about we we talked about going back and talking to a peasant about, you know, demons and other things in the past. For them, you know, the demon was very real. You know, we're burning people at the stake. We're hanging people, you know, because they're in league with the devil. If something's mm-hmm. wrong with you, it's 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 because of mal forces. the The word malaria comes from mal air, bad air, yeah. right? right? So it's not even mosquitoes. It's just uh, an amorphous sort of you know fog that is causing mm-hmm. this issue. But but science, you know, comes in and it kind of you know we look at science as as something that's miraculous. And it's benefited us, but it's also crushed and destroyed our ability to be imaginative, our ability yeah. to think critically. I mean, ironically, I think it's it's destroyed the ability to think critically because if <laughs> we've learned anything in the past three years, it's that the 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 science is settled. That uh, right. <laughs> science has 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 told us exactly how things are supposed to be, and mm-hmm. to go against that is to be an apostate. So we've come full circle, almost in a sense, with with some of this stuff. So again, I just I hope for a revival. I hope for those pyramids on the moon, you know, right. because I, I want society to get shooken up. You know, I I want the extra etch a sketch to get shaken a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, um, and I think that it's again, it's you know, I, I I can't leave here without mentioning Dune, but it is very much something that Frank Herbert. Described in his later Dune books about the scattering and mankind essentially escaping out Going out into the universe diversifying trying so many different things and when they ran into adversity They would be more prepared And I think that that's exactly true. You look at it in a biological sense and how biological organisms survive You know if you are a small niche species in a small location GMA man, you are not gonna make it. All right, humanity needs to get off this rock. I totally believe that. But just mm. in and of, it, of itself, we need to get out of this monolithic culture, this piss poor monolithic culture. We need to diversify. Everyone talking about like diversity, you know, it drives me nuts because it's like there's there's not diversity here. You know, yeah. it's it's like this is some some sort of faux diversity that you're you're making. You know, you're, you are creating it out of whole cloth. It's an idea. It's, it's, a, it's an invention of postmodernism, critical theory that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for some French guys fucking, you know, Tunisian boys in the 1960s and 70s. All right. Like, I just, right. like, I don't, I, I don't look at this as, like, anything that's added positively <laughs> to the human experience. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like, we need something to just absolutely just blast this shit away. We need to.
2: Yeah. I've had a theory for a long time that, um, like the, the Christian apocalypse is cyclical in that every few hundred years or so, all the seals of revelation open in some way, all the events of revelation happen in some way. And that there are blood moons and the sun turns black and there are earthquakes and there are locusts and, it's like people want what it's, it's, they want a right now. They, they want a renewal. Hitler, you know. right, yeah. they, they want a revival. They want a renewal. And they know their renewal will come when the world ends. So it's like that cultural zeitgeist, that collective unconscious of the Christian masses says, I want the world to end because I want something new to start. And they bring it about almost in some localized area of the world. The world ends. And then it doesn't end. And it comes right back just like it does a billion times four for the last trillion years. And it keeps doing that cyclically every few hundred years. Some mass casualty event, something ridiculous will happen that pushes humanity toward the end of the world. And now we've reached the end of the world. We've reached the end of history. It's all over. We've we've reached Mm -hmm. the terminus of all thought. All of our thoughts are hitting each other at the speed of light. And we are still at the end, and the world hasn't ended yet. And again, with Dune, I think that's—I think the whole—I don't—I haven't read too much of it, but I remember that they were searching for aliens, and they couldn't find any. They—they they went across the entire universe, and it was just them. Right. And that we—we we keep trying to end the world to start something else, but we're not making any better story. We're just. Using the same old thread from that first story two thousand years ago, the same story that John saw when he had his revelation, that he said he thought it was going to happen like next week, and it didn't happen next week. And we've been pulling that, you know, pool of thread for the past two thousand years, trying to get to the end of it, and the thread's not running out. And we are waiting for a new story to come about. We're waiting for something to happen. We we just want anything to happen to the point where we're making salvific figures out of anybody like fauci or trump or anybody who we can try and put a crown of thorns on to get jesus to come back to earth basically is what's happening that we want something to occur we want something to happen but nobody really wants it because we all want to sit around we want to play Fortnite and war thunder and (laughs) game we want to we want to please ourselves we don't want the world to end just yet but if it ended next week we wouldn't be so mad about it
1: yeah i you know part of it goes back to again it's it's we've this is the thing that gets me so much about the united states and the current political climate is that people keep talking about like a second civil war and i'm thinking to myself your fat ass does not want to bury your children. Your fat ass yeah. does not want to be in a bombed-out house, okay? Mm-hmm. You don't want this civil war. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care how much you've prepped. I don't care about any of that shit. You don't want it. The minute it starts and you can't unfuck it and you can't stop it when you want to, you'll you'll realize the mistake that you've made. But part yeah. of it is is that I don't see it ever starting because, again, we're so... Just so beyond bread and circuses. Again, we we are on soma at this point. We are just being like fed digitally, physically through our food. You know, I'm not like a seed oil sort of guy, but I'm just like, look, you know, doing so much stuff right now that is just deadening us, that is killing our bodies and our spirits. And, you know it's hard not to believe that there's some grand cabal behind all of this because it just seems so insidious. But I, yeah. I don't know that that's actually it. I think that part of it is, is, is again, going back to the stagnation because even our elites are stagnant to a certain extent. You know, right. it's like, where are the real, like, world-conquering supervillains? Because all I see is ineptitude across the board. I'm yeah. disappointed in them. Yeah. I'm, frankly, disappointed in them. Yeah. It's it's Again, it goes back to this idea that, like, I want another Napoleon. I want another Caesar. And the reason why is I want to see somebody break free of the shackles. I want to see somebody shooting above the clouds. You know, like you said, we want to put that crown of thorns on somebody. We We want somebody who is going to break free of the mold, you know, it's that, mm-hmm. you know, 1980s, 1984 Apple commercial, you know, with the right, runner yeah. running and throwing the fucking sledgehammer in the face of, you know, uh, big, uh, brother. big brother, you know, right. it's, we're, we're, we're looking for that. Um, but if I knew where to look, I would be yeah. turning over more rocks. I just, I just feel like again, you know, maybe what it does come down to is we need, you know, we need yes, like a massive solar flare. We need, what, if you, yeah, of course you have. There's the the meme of the guy and it's billions must die, right? <laughs> like that's become <laughs> that yes. that's become really popular in the last couple months. I've noticed in you know my little you know corner of esoteric shit posting Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking like that is that again that that is the that is the current that is the that is the common desire where it's like yes destroy us to be remade yes let's have this mass cataclysm to bring about the new age you know again a very Aztec sort of thing we would have been lucky if 2012 had played out that way you know
2: <laughs> yeah let's get rid of that
1: it's like the shittiest movie with John Cusack that I've ever seen yeah. um, it's it's sad. It's just sad. And that's why it is hard for me personally to not get blackpilled sometime again. I, I just, I hate the fucking, you know, terminology, but it's like, that is, but that's kind of what it is. It's like, you look around and you're like, this is a fucking nine inch nail song. Every day is exactly the same. (laughs) Like it is just come down to everything is exactly the same. There's no reason, there's no pain, like there's no there's nothing, you know. And that that is again, that's that's poisonous like nostalgia is where you know you've either got nothing or you've got a mirage of something. Show me the real deal. You know, let's climb out of the cave together and let's find what's what's really there beyond the shadows playing on the wall. And mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to do that on, you know, online. You're not going to do that. I mean, it's a good tool. There's a lot of things that could be said for that. You know, I wish I could say that you're going to find it in the book. But, like, man, I see all the new books are getting written. They suck, man. We should be burning books. Fuck these books. (laughs) Awful. Fuck them books. Fuck them books. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this as a librarian, like, Banned books Books books. is, like, the biggest crock of shit that I've ever heard in my life. Oh, most definitely. It's books like Catcher in the Rye. Well, but, like, not only that, like, we have, like, Banned Book Week in, I think it's coming up in March or April. And, like, what do libraries do? They put out the banned books. That's like, you know, a zoo for extinct animals, okay? Like, what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Clearly, these books are not banned anymore, you know, removing a book from a classroom is not banning it. It's called collection development. All right, um, that like that that like drives me fucking insane because again, it's like, you know, your dumb ass could go on Amazon and order that book right now. You want to put together a GoFundMe to buy like a hundred copies of that book and stand on the street corner and like pass them out to people? Fucking do it, man. Nobody is stopping you. All right. Like this is not a, a totalitarian country where they could theoretically ban a book. You know, it's it, it, it's shit like that again, where you're, you're being fed the false image. You're you're being again, you know, banned books. It's relying on nostalgia, but it, the bad kind of nostalgia to get you kind of worked up, you know, and to get you like get your hackles raised and get you to feel like, you know, I got to go on the offensive. I'm going to be a soldier. I'm going to March and, and and we're going to come together and we're going to save the, the books and the kids will read the books and everything will be good. And it's like, you know, sit the fuck down and watch, you know, your HGTV, your fucking E entertainment, eat your fucking Uber eats and just, Mm -hmm. just fucking shut up. Don't come out of your house. Don't bother me. Don't engage in society. Just fucking check out, man. You know, I wish more people were were doing the fucking tune in and drop out shit. You know, mm-hmm. but like again, with Starbucks and uh, you know, your your fucking um, retinol, you know, or your buccal fat removal or whatever. Just like do whatever the fuck you want. You know, modify your body, take all the drugs. You know, live in pharmacopia. You know, and and just. Fucking gorge yourself on the the slop, you know, that comes out of the TV and out of, you know, the food establishments. And just don't improve yourself. Okay. Just just go exist somewhere else where we can like forget you exist. You know, that is what I want to say again to like 90% of America. You know, and again, that's you know, very antisocial. This is why I don't have a lot of you know, friends, whatever, you know, I say I don't have a lot of friends. This is why I've removed myself from a lot of people because I'm kind of like tired of it because I was around when Facebook was a thing for like hooking up with the girl you met at the party last night, back 2005, 2006, again, talking about nostalgia. And now it's like Facebook is a place where I look at pictures of cats and I am in groups of people who have shared interests and things And no, I do not want to see your vacation photos, person that I haven't seen in 15 years, who I went to high school with, who added me last week. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what it's turned into. And again, like, I'm, I'm like, revolted by it. That's why I keep all of my social media private. That's why I stay anonymous online as much as possible. Because it's like, I don't want to engage with you. I don't want to uh, live vicariously, you know, through everything that you're doing. I want to exist almost like I am a hermit. That's true. And like, you know, an ancient hermit on top of, you know, uh, a rock plinth in the desert in Egypt. It's like, my job here is to contemplate. I am here to think. I am here to discover something personal as much as I am to discover anything for you. Truly, it's, it's about me. And that's why I think about nostalgia a lot because I'm thinking like, What is it, what does it mean to, to have lived the life that I have? What does it mean to, to, to think about the lives that I didn't live, that I feel connected to? What's it mean to feel this kind of cultural phenomenon where I'm connected to somebody who I've never met, you know, 500, 600, 700 miles away that I immediately can build a connection with. That's pretty fucking strong. You know, that, that is what I'm doing. That is what I'm thinking about, you know, and it's, it's something that I wish um, more people had uh, the opportunity to do. Uh, it's not easy. It's not fun, but at the same time, I feel that it's, it's it's necessary. I think that if one good thing comes out of my existence, I'd like to write some sort of manifesto is the wrong word, but some sort of document, some sort of just even you know diary that could then get passed around you know after the fact. And people could look at it and be like, "Ah, yes, we need more of of this." And again, even that is a nostalgia for for things that have that other men have done, you know. Mm-hmm. So again, nothing new under the sun. But but that's probably you know my second greatest drive. My first greatest drive is get to heaven. And that's past yep. that. What else do you need, you know?
0: I can't disagree with that one, honestly. It's it's you know heaven heaven is the the main goal but honestly with that with heaven being the main goal the more i think about that the less the less i care about what anyone else in the world is doing unless it's mm-hmm. like something explicitly evil on a grand scale
2: mm-hmm. I think um getting to heaven even i don't i don't even think that's going to be enough because it seems like that's the end goal but like you mentioned you know, staring at shadows and wanting to get away from the shadows. In that, you know, the picture of the allegory of the cave, right. with the slaves down there looking at the shadow puppets, and then one decides, "What am I doing here in a cave?" And he crawls up, he goes to the surface, and looks at the sun. But the sun ends up being the fire that time, and the world end up, right. ends up being the cave. Then you see the picture of, um, I think it's like a Gnostic image of. The man tearing through the firmament of the world and he looks out and he sees the thrones and he sees the uncreated world and he tries to go toward that and that ends up being his new stopping grounds. And It it seems like eternally, throughout many lives, uh, throughout a, a billion different mental streams, throughout many different spiritual worlds and physical worlds, we will always persist to try and seek upwards that we'll never be satisfied with what we get until we stop craving.
1: Right, that so it's we were almost given, kind of, we were kind given of an, an eternal sense
2: of Right. Yeah. So that we're given an infinite playground. We can live in this life. We can die in this body and then live in our souls and then explore through heaven and then think maybe heaven isn't enough either. And then we'll try to reach higher and higher and either we're going to end up existing with God at the end or, eternally return back to here, and eternally try to find new movies to watch, essentially. Yeah. Or, follow the Buddhist way, I guess, or the Zen way, whatever you want to call it, and stop caring about trying to find new experiences and just exist with awareness of your current moment. But even that gets boring. That's why, you know, bodhisattvas exist, that they don't want to become a Buddha and, and go live off and... Nirvana and be detached from the world. They still want to return, with the goal of helping, which is good and all. But eternally, we will continue to seek and seek and seek, which is good. But that is just our nature.
1: But I think not only that. You also look at, like, you know, speaking of the Bodhisattvas and other, you know, Western saints. All of it's about different aspects. You know, we've got different aspects to life and. That's something that I think, again, like, this is going to get really nerdy, but, like, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Warhammer 40,000. We're just going to go all the way Mm -hmm. to, like, the far end of of nerdiness. So, Mm -hmm. in Warhammer 40,000, they have their equivalent of elves, space elves. They're Eldar. They've got some fucking other name now that they rebranded it, like Eldari or some shit. But with a species that lives for essentially forever one of the things that they do is they go through different aspects so for a thousand years they're a potter a thousand years they're a painter thousand years they're a musician whatever it might be um and during that time some of them take on uh, a warrior aspect things like that and i think that that's that i think that that's an accurate description i think that whoever came up with that lore and it goes back to you know older versions of elves you know and, and 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 whatnot but uh that kind of lore, I think, is right because when you look at it, like well, like you said, what would you do with all that time? You'd want to continue to explore. Again, it's the exact opposite of this stagnation. It's a desire to keep pushing forward. You know, yeah. it's like when we talk about, you know, the United States was a frontier country. Not anymore. Do you really yeah. want to go up to Alaska? 99 out of 100 people, 999, 100 people out of 1,000 don't want to, you know, right. but it's like all of a sudden... You know, you tell somebody like, hey, do you want to go to Mars? Fuck yeah, I want to go to Mars. All of a sudden it becomes really, you know, amazing and popular. And again, we talk about this nostalgia. It's like, do you really want to go to Mars? Like, do you want to live in a shitty dome? Do you want to like have to like, you know, eat, you know, food grown in your own shit? Do you want to like reprocess mm. bodies into protein? Like, you don't mm. want to do any of that not romantic stuff. But, but the it's romanticism. But it is a myth. Yeah. It, it's, it's that myth. And you want to live it. And
2: and what's crazy about that is that if we terraform Mars, and we, we make it habitable or whatever, there's going to be kids in 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years who are living on Mars. Once Mars is completely terraformed, we've discovered all of Mars. They're going to say, this is boring, I want to go to another planet. Right. Not knowing that 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, their great to the 18th power grandfather was the first to settle that planet. And again, that's, that's the whole point with there being nothing new under the sun and also that you will eternally seek. Being that nothing will ever be enough to satisfy us, no matter how great it is. Not even, not even God at the end of all reality will be enough because we'll eventually want to go back. Something always pushes us back and it's the need for experience. That The meaning of life isn't love or um, a religion or a specific thought or whatever. It's just to experience and that eternally yeah. we will always experience through many bodies, through many lives, through many uh, perspectives, so many aspects. We will always continue to experience through everything all at the same time, forever. And that's our only purpose. That's our only reason for existing. Even after we stop existing, we will continue to experience and continue to seek. And that fact, once coupled with you know, an earthly life poisoned with nostalgia, poisoned with myth, poisoned with all these things, eventually it settles them. It's like Pepto-Bismol in the stomach. You realize maybe all this nostalgia I've experienced before and I shouldn't be poisoned by it so much that this is just a life that I'm living. I get to experience it. The pains, the sufferings, the joys, all these things are good because I get to experience them once and never again. And I think a lot of people try to escape from that. They escape from their suffering. They escape from their joy because they want something in the future and they don't want what's now. And the only thing you have is what's now. Even though you might terraform Mars and there might be your grandchildren in the future living on that planet who don't like living on the planet, your point now, your dharma, your rule, your law, your duty is to exist now and do what is necessary now that in your heart there is no action in your heart you're still but in your body you act for the sake of acting and that's all you need to do
1: i think i think one thing that i would i would say to that is so again because you know going back to our modern cultural mythos and having to to go to that for an example um the movie star trek generations the first star trek movie of the picard era you know yeah. the the main antagonist is Dr. Soren played by Malcolm McDowell. great, great guy, great character. You know, and one of the things that he says is that for him, he's trying to reach the nexus. It's this place where everything is frozen in time. He can have exactly what he wants, whatever he wants for eternity. There's no end, no beginning, all this sort of stuff. what he what he said was, you know, time is a predator is how he described it. You know, and at, at the end of the movie, you know, Picard is talking to, data because he's, he's fucking always talking to data um but you know he's like you know soren thought that time was a predator but you know i think that time is a companion you know and i'm just like no no i agree with soren actually time is a predator i will end you know i have a fixed amount of time i completely understand like I- i'm in constant fear of my own mortality you know that's probably my biggest flaw But it's it's one of the things that I think is like you. It's it is what is driving you forward. It is what is pushing you as much as that desire to reach out, to continue to explore, to not be stagnant. I think that you know it's a it's a push and a pull. And what's pushing you, I think, again, is that mortality as much as anything else. Because you know it's really easy to rest on your laurels or to rest on the laurels or the tribulations of your ancestors. It's really easy to say my ancestors were slaves or my ancestors came over on the Mayflower. Right. Two sides of the same coin, but it's like, well, what did you do yesterday, buddy? Like, tell me about you. Yeah. And that's why I think again, like, I think you're right. I think there's always going to be a desire to move forward, or at least I hope there is again, if people are not just so fucking zonked out of their gourd by all the opiates that are that are available to them, both literal and metaphorical at this point.
2: And like, think about like the Garden of Eden, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were at the time immortal at for the most part. They had nothing that could kill them. They were taking naps on the bears of the grizzly bears. They were eating grapes. They were existing very peacefully. They wanted nothing, but for some reason they lived in paradise and they had no Worry of mortality or anything like that. And they were told to do one thing. just Literally just do one thing. Don't eat that one fruit. And God put in that garden a serpent. A serpent that would connive them, would deceive them, would convince them. And for some reason, something called in Eve, something called in Adam, to forsake that eternal paradise, forsake that peace, forsake that joy, forsake that comfort, they wanted something in them, some something subconscious that knew more than their conscious minds did. Something wanted to struggle. Something wanted to toil the earth. Something wanted to have pains of childbirth. Something wanted to live for a thousand years and not know God again. Something wanted to have an infinite amount of generations of children follow them to try to save them. Because that's the whole point of Adam and Eve is they had children that would save them one day thousands of years in the future, all the way down to Jesus, right? it's in, that,
1: in a cage, yeah, absolutely. Right,
2: That they wanted so badly something else that they would sacrifice their own immortality for it, something that God would give them. God would give them the fruit of good and evil. They would, they would, he would give them the tree of life in time if they passed their test. But something just said, eat it, eat it now. And I find that almost more divine. Than the garden itself, that there was something that called out in them to start a story better than any author could ever write. That -hmm. there's no way someone could craft such a beautiful story like that. Generations of humans would pass with nothing being garnered, nothing being gained. Abraham would have to wait (laughs) dozens of generations just to get what he was promised. Adam would have to wait thousands of years of people who lived for hundreds of years in his lineage to get what he was promised. All the way down to Jesus, finally they got what they were promised. And now we aren't given what we were promised 2,000 years ago, that there would be a millennial kingdom and such like that. That It is a constant story of waiting, but we keep pushing on for some reason. Something just makes us want the story more and more. And that is what's so beautifully divine about you know that story in specific is that it's not a story about we fucked up. Now we got to go back to paradise. Is that we chose to live in hell because we wanted to suffer. We wanted to experience it. Now, it's obviously not the dogma. That's that's not the popular opinion. But to me, that feels like what it was the purpose of doing that. It wasn't God's mess up. It, God didn't make the mistake of oopsie. I put the wrong tree in the wrong forest. It's that. I put this tree here, knowing you would make the mistake, so that you, with your mortal soul, could live as a mortal person and experiencing the pains and the sufferings of, and suffering again is, is something else that we don't. We have the power to perform miracles, right? Like Christ, when he was confronted by the Roman soldier, and he said, "My man is is sick and ill, and I need you to heal him." Christ said, "It is done." And in that same moment, the man was healed. So obviously, Christ had the power to change any suffering into joy and plentiful, you know. But he he didn't. Instead of doing that to everybody, getting rid of all the suffering in the world in, in one hand sweep, instead of flicking his finger and stopping every world war that could have ever happened in the future, he decided not to do that. He decided to do what the only thing we can do in this physical reality, in these mortal bodies, which is to suffer for the sake of healing someone else's suffering.
1: Right.
2: And that when you're a parent and your child throws up all over the toilet uh, all over the toilet, all over the bathroom, you don't belabor them. You don't get upset at them. You just clean it because you love them and you care for them. And we are given the experience to be able to love and care for another by suffering for them. And It doesn't matter that we suffered because eventually we will leave our bodies and all the traumas of our bodies will be left behind. But we got to experience the suffering. So Christ didn't wave his hand and cause all the suffering to go away. He took on the suffering knowing that his spirit will be fine, but his body suffered. So we suffer. We all suffer. We have to suffer. Because the pain of suffering is better than the free ease of access of just ceasing all suffering.
1: Yeah, and I think I think part of that goes back to the idea that again, you know, like it's so overplayed, but it's like you can't have darkness without light, you know. You can't have good without the bad, you know. And like people say that, and like it, like immediately just like raises like my fucking <laughs> hackles. Like I get so fucking it's, angry.
2: It's banal, but it's real.
1: It's so banal, but it but it, you know, it's like like all truths. It is banal. At, at its at its basis, and I think that you know, I think you're right. I think that you know, Adam and Eve, and you know, uh, from a Christian, you can look at it from a Christian cosmological sort of like you know, uh, viewpoint where it it had to happen that way, where free will is certainly part uh, uh, part of the story, but also that you know, the devil is is still influenced by God, and and that God knew this was going to happen, and you know, you can. Again, you can sit in the desert and think about this for 60 years like many, many, many people have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when it comes down to like your day-to-day life, when I see things that are around me, you know, I just think like, you know, again, we're so uh, we're so inclined to um, be judgmental of others. And uh, what I really like about my name, uh, Daniel, is in Hebrew it means God is my judge. And I do, I do think about that, you know, a lot. I certainly want to be a good person to the people around me. I don't want to bring harm. I want to leave things better than I found it in a very Boy Scout sort of uh, way. Um, but at the same time, you know, a, a big part of me is not going to be worried about what me and my neighbor and all this other stuff, w- what they think. I'm going to be more interested in, in what God has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that being said, though. You know, I find myself on Twitter, you know, and it's it's really easy to dogpile on somebody who's just got a, a, a rancid dog shit take. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, as many sociologists have already pointed out, it's really easy to be evil when you're anonymous online. I understand why Jordan Peterson rails <laughs> against the anonymous troll hackers online. You know, it's like, I get it, you know. <laughs> but, you know, he also mistakes, you know, uh, you know, uh, m- you know, cock milking machine porn for like something that's going on in China. So it's like, yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I can't take everything he says very seriously. Oh, you're a but evil it's rat. Like, Yeah, a little bit. Like part of it is, is it's like I like being online, and sometimes I just, I just you. You love to be an asshole sometimes. It feels good. I, growing up, and you can ask Tristan, Zach about this, one of the reasons why Zach and I got along so well is that we just enjoyed getting a rise out of people. That was fucking fun to us. Um yeah, Zach is
0: really good at being a dick in, like, the most entertaining sometimes? <laughs> <way I've been. laughs>
1: right, exactly. And I, w- I witnessed it firsthand, and even sometimes it was too much for me, and I was like, oh, my God, I've met, I've met the master here, you know? And that's one of the things where it's like, I look at this and it's like, I, I all the time, like, I, I see people that are dickish and I'm just waiting for their comeuppance to happen. I mean, like, you know, we're going to be waiting forever for like the Epstein Island, like logs, like we're never going to see that shit. But you know what I feel really good about? Justin Roiland got found out for being like a pedophile talking to like 16 year old girls. That's great. Did he also like beat his wife or something? beat his wife i i made the mistake of about two weeks before that no uh, that news came out i made like a twitter post saying like yeah you know justin roiland you know he's kind of bad but like dan Harmon's actually the worst of the two and then of course this news comes out and i'm like you motherfucker like come on man like mm-hmm. i just i just love to think that you know again all of these terrible people all of these terrible things that they've did you know draining the adrenochrome out of you know small children before they rape and eat them you know it's mm-hmm. why is that hard to believe? It's like, yeah, it's probably not true. It's it's probably 99% you know not true. You know, 99.999% not true. But it's like if you told me that you know Tom Hanks, you know, cracked open the spine uh, of a 1-year-old to suck out the marrow, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can believe that. You know, I think that only the, you
0: know, dude, I, only the dude who played every adult male character in the movie Polar Express could do something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if you've seen Cloud Atlas, you've seen his character progress from basically an evil, destructive, terrible soul into somebody who finally, after so many past, like, lives, learns how to not be an asshole. Like, that was, like, the, the crux of the movie, is that far into the future, in his new uh, body, in his new life, his soul finally figures out not to be a dick. And it's like, Wow, glad it only took you like five hundred years of human existence to figure this out. They mm-hmm. they probably took a they they probably chose a good actor for that. But I think again, it's just like one of these things where it's crabs in a bucket mentality too, where like we just don't want to see people be successful. Like again, like Justin Roiland is a fat fucking schlub. I'm a fat fucking schlub. Why does he get to make millions of dollars because he does you know shitty voices? I can do shitty voices. Hey Morty, it's me. It's 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 your grandpa Rick. I like to That's talk boring. to 16-year-old girls, Morty Morty. I'm a I'm an alcoholic, yeah. Like I could do that. Nobody's gonna pay me millions of dollars. You know? I might I might at this Right, but on the on the flip side, I don't talk to underage girls. That's a fair trade. Um I think, I think again. It's just, it's just one of these things where, and Zach and and I commiserate about this all the time. Where we hate seeing people being successful doing the things that we wanted to do. There's nothing more. There's nothing. I'm the same way at this point. Exactly. There's nothing more infuriating than seeing people succeed doing what you thought would be a great idea, and you know, it's like no part of you can be happy for them. You know, no part of you could be like, you could enjoy watching what they did, and at the very end of it be like, fuck that guy. God damn it. Like he took my idea. Even if, even yeah. if they didn't, you know, or there's nothing more infuriating than like going on Twitter, posting a meme that you just stole, right? And seeing it get like a hundred likes. And then one of your mutuals posts it two weeks later, it gets a thousand. And you're like, what the fuck, man? But I mean, it's like, it's not even the fruit of your own labor. You know, it's a stolen meme. But it's just like the algorithm gods played that day and he he won out, you know? And that's something that, again, like, I think is something eternal. I think that that's always sort of existed. But I think that it's it's hyper prevalent now that we're just so aware of it. And, you know, some guy in Decatur can make a video with his buddies with a handy cam and put it out there on YouTube or Vimeo or something and get half a million views. And you're just thinking to yourself, why the fuck did that click? And what I did didn't. And that's why, like, very early on into – my 20s when when I was being creative when I was doing creative things I just I again I retreated back into this hermitage of mine because I thought to myself it's like I don't want to bust my ass to try to be the popular guy I don't want to bust my ass to be the one that quote-unquote makes it I've got guys that I went to community college with who are still doing stand-up still doing specifically like improv I'm thinking to myself, it's like, you're doing improv and you're also working like a kind of a dead end fucking job and all this other shit. And I went the other way. I went the normie way and I got my degree and I stopped fucking around. For anyway, yeah. way, I, 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 I did what my boomer parents wanted. All right. I followed their guidelines and all of a sudden it's like, I've got my own house. I've got, you know, a car. I I can pay my own bills. I've got money to splurge on shit. But it's like, who really is ha- is happier? Is he happier doing the the fucking, you know, improv and doing what he what he always wanted to do and love, or am I happier? And it's like, well, I don't think I'm happier, but, but maybe somebody else in my similar situation is. I, and that just, you know, that, that gets me that kind of, you know, that makes me think again, talking about these things that I think about that, that is something that I think about a lot, because I, when I see young people, I don't want to crush their dreams. I don't want to tell, you know, I don't want to tell my 17 year old nephew, like, hey, man, don't don't even fucking try to be a Twitch streamer, because wh- what do you got going for you that I don't know, 100,000 other 17 year old white kids in the United States Aren't also trying to do at the same time. You know, this isn't even like the Hunger Games. It's not like a 32-man battle royale. You've got a lot of competition. And it's just about the algorithm. It's about a shtick. It's about, you know, such minutia that's gonna decide whether you make it or not. I remember there was a Black Mirror episode where everybody like is living in like these pods. And they have to, like, get on exercise bikes to generate electricity. And it's kind of this weird cast system. And the people on the bikes, like, earn their credits by pedaling each day. And they can buy a ticket to be on, basically, like, who's got talent. And, of course, this guy simps for a girl. He's got a lot of credits. So what does he do? She sings really well. He says, hey, I want to make your dreams come true. I'm going to buy your ticket so you can go on the show and wow them and you'll sing and you'll get to be a singer and all this great stuff. But they do that. She sings and everyone's like, oh, that's really great and, and, and all that. But, you know, what? we've had a lot of singers this year. You know what you'd be really good at? Hardcore porn. (laughs) <laughs> That's what you would be good at. And the, the 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 episode just gets even more dystopian. Like, immediately. And everybody's chanting and all this other shit. And so she agrees to it. And all, all this terrible stuff. And so the simp, you know, then goes and, you know, he s- starts from the bottom again, gets a ticket, like, really plans out his revenge. And he gets back on the show. And he basically, you know, wants to rescue her he wants to to change the system and everything else and the episode ends spoiler with him just becoming part of the system too and that's like a lot of things i think unfortunately um that's that is such a good story and it resonates because it's already happening Mm -hmm. it's it's already happening you're already getting your girls addicted to OnlyFans and selling their bodies and being disrespectful of their bodies, of their individuality, and not caring. You're getting guys that are, you know, spending all their time online, building an online persona, trying to, you know, rack up views. You know, it's, it's, it's all this kind of uh, fake um, reward. You know, again, going back to the gambling, I just it never appealed to me to gamble. You know, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? I think I can play this game for two hours if I get a little achievement saying that I did something completely inconsequential. Like, pick your poison; they'll find the one that works for you. You know, and that's why I, I do kind of like look at it, and I think like, you know, yeah, like we we need to pull back. We need to. You know, get away from from a lot of this because it is just again like it's it's a it's a mirage. It's a falsified sort of thing. You know, everybody can be famous. Everybody can have their fifteen minutes of fame. The saddest thing that I ever see is looking up people that had their fifteen minutes of fame and seeing where they are now. It's not even like where they are now, where it's like, hey, what was this like one hit wonder from the '80s doing? That's a little depressing. What's really depressing is like looking up Beener Kiki, you know, or or, Taizan Day and see what the fuck they're doing now. And it's just like, my God, they might have a hundred thousand dollars, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars in the bank. I still don't think I would want to really trade places with them because they are living in such obscurity after being at the height of everybody's attention that it's like you'll never capture it again. You're going to chase that dragon for the rest of your life, but it's a bad chase, you know? And uh, I just, again, going going back to this, like, you know, that's why I don't pursue things creativ- uh, creatively. You know, I, I try to avoid that kind of allure because it's like, would I love to be famous? No, not really. I don't think I ever want to be famous. I'm glad that I got away with that. Uh, I, I got away from that feeling. Because, again, I, ju- I just think that it's there's, there's no real reward to it. Um, and, uh, you know, not famous in the way that these people are famous. If someone came up to me and says, do you want to be the next Caesar? That's a different story. Because then I'm mm-hmm. leaving, you know, a mark on society. I'm changing things. I am literally, at that point, like Atlas, taking the world on my shoulders and changing it for good or for ill. So I understand, again, going back to the nostalgia, I understand that drive. I understand why people want to be like that. But I also understand why the normies are like, yeah, I want to be famous. I want to go on, you know, some sort of the voice or who's got talent or some other shit. I want to be the next, you know, whatever the fuck their names are, you know, like, (laughs) okay, all right, you know, but it's like, what I really want to be in is I want to be with that little niche group on Twitter of say you know a hundred thousand you know two hundred thousand crazy weirdos posting frogs that are saying I'm going to be the next Napoleon I'm going to be the next Caesar we're bringing it back you know mm-hmm. we're back bros like that's mm-hmm. that that appeals to me and I understand it and and you know. I, is that more noble? That's in the eye of the beholder. I couldn't say. I couldn't say objectively whether it's more noble, but it, I, I think subjectively, I, I I know why it appeals to me because it does seem to be, you know. And uh, if those people, if those people got in power, it would be different. If, if if instead of the normie becoming your senator, you got the weirdo guy that was in his basement making like again glitch bite m- memes. You know, and like, you know, 20 second compilations of like the IRA matched with like, you know, the PLA, uh, you know, w- with, with some sort of vaporwave playing in the background. That guy would make a better congressman than, you know, Joe Schmuckatelli, who, you know, owned a fucking plumbing company, you know.
0: The anti Italian sentiment tonight. My goodness. Then he's gone for two episodes and we make up a character who, we make up a character who
1: sucks. (laughs) It's, 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 but it's again, like, but it goes back to like, you want to talk about Italians, like that early sort of fascism, that March on Rome. That's what these people want. It's like, you know, if it wasn't for certain segments of the federal government making up right wing extremists, There wouldn't Mm -hmm. be any right wing extremists because there are so few of them. And even Mm -hmm. on the left, even on people that are looking at some sort of grand struggle for some social social equity, some social equality, you know, that want to have, you know, the black band, you know, the 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 collective. I, I respect that if only because at least they're driving for an idea that is greater than themselves It also has some merit in the fact that it has existed before, you know? (laughs) Like, we've seen it happen, so it's like, it can happen again, and it will happen again. You know, I I think, um, I've never been very bullish on democracy for a lot of reasons. I think democracy is pretty gay, and I apologize for using gay as a slur. That's fine. We say fag on here a lot. it's, It's my favorite, but it's like, I always tell people, it's like, you know, democracy is not the be all end all, you know, you can have a nice fancy quote, I think from Churchill, who said, democracy is the worst system of government, except for all the others. It's like, okay, asshole, well, you know, they (laughs) threw you out on your ass after you won the war. uh, So how good could democracy really be? The masses are stupid. Um, And I think that we need to be more open about that. Again, if they're not stupid, they are indulging themselves in a way that makes me think like again, you shouldn't vote. You know, do I think that we should have like Do I think that we should have like rules for voting where it's like landowners only? No, cuz I've met a lot of rich people that are, you know, idiots. I work in mm-hmm. academia. I don't think, you know, a person with a PhD behind their their name should be able to automatically vote either. You know, you you can't give me credentials that I really feel that I can get behind, that would restrict the electorate in a way that I would feel more comfortable. And I think that that is going to eventually reach a critical mass in this country. Eventually enough people will say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of a situation where, you know, one party has just a a demographic advantage that can't be overcome, uh, except for when it does, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, you (laughs) could lose the popular vote, but you could still win. Like you either hate Mm -hmm. the popular vote or you hate the electoral college. It's one or the other in this country, right? What the Mm -hmm. fuck? Like, so if both can't exist together anymore after 200 years, what fucking good is this system anyway? Like Mm -hmm. shit's broken, you know, shit's broken. Things have to change. Things have to evolve. I mean, it always kills me when people like say democracy is sacred. I I I could not care less about democratic institutions when people say that. Hey Jesus. Dan. Yes.
0: I really really love this tangent. We are <laughs> far, we are so, so far removed from, so removed from the original topic. Yes. Yeah. And it has been about 2 hours. Sure, so sure, often, sure. If you want to come back and talk about democracy uh, and the hatred or love of it. I would love that, but I kind of got a little work tomorrow.
2: <laughs> There's nothing new under the podcast, son.
0: This has been uh, probably the best serious episode philosophically since episode three. I, you know what, yeah. Dan, I'll say it: you're you are a guest on par with Dank Deleuze, and thank he's you. Been, uh, and he was he was great. So, uh. I really appreciate you helping us. Like, I really, honestly, I did not expect this to be a, such a prolific two-hour-long discussion. that could easily <laughs> probably go another three hours.
2: Probably. Um, Absolutely. But, Use code NORMIFRENIA at uh, Ardesiansupplycode.com. Yep. That's correct. Go to the bottom of the page and look at the NORMIFRENIA banner that our wonderful friend over there made for us. Buy a bunch of crap. I have a blanket on from him right, right now. Uh, pretty good stuff.
0: I I ate the veggie MRE.
2: He has yep. a new he has a new shirt. It says I hate New York on it. If you also hate New York, buy a shirt from him. 10% off.
0: Thank you for being here, Dan. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you guys. Appreciate
1: it. Alright, good night everybody. Bye bye.